From the Los Angeles Times, this is Asian Enough. Each week on this podcast, we talk to one Asian American guest about the joys, the complications, and everything else that comes along with being Asian American. I'm one of your hosts, Tracy Brown. And I'm your other host, Jen Yamato. Happy Pride Month, Jen. Happy Pride Month to you, Tracy. Also, happy Gemini season to all the Geminis out there. I am so excited about today's guest. Me too. Today, we're joined by airline Inthira, who you may know better as the fabulous drag queen and fashion icon Jujubee. Jujubee, of course, is a popular alum of VH1's RuPaul's Drag Race. She also appeared on two seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. Drag let me break through all these invisible fences that I put up, and it just let me be free. Airline is a singer, a songwriter, a makeup artist, and... Very importantly, a cat lover, which I deeply appreciate. Jujubee also co-hosts the show Dragnificent on TLC and has a new album out called Good Juju Live. I tip my crown to the queen in me. This is who I'm meant to be. Beautiful, powerful, and stronger than I've ever known. Bow down to the queen in me It's my time to take the lead I'm beautiful, powerful Bow down to the queen in me Our conversation with Jujubee coming up after this short break. Welcome back to Asian Enough. Here's our conversation with the drag queen, singer, and fashion icon, Jujubee. Welcome to the show. Oh, Jen, Tracy, thank you so much for having me. I feel really grateful to be here. I think I think y'all are doing a great service to the world. And I, I gotta say, I didn't have anything like this when I was a kid. So being a part of something like this is pretty cool. Oh, it means so much to hear that from you. So thank you. Oh my, uh, you know what, girl? I never feel like I'm Asian enough. So like to hear you say to me like that, it's it's like a big thing. I'm so proud. <laughs> <laughs> this is great because this is the perfect place to be when you have feelings about being Asian enough. <laughs> oh yeah. In your own words, can you tell us who is Jujubee? Jujubee is an extension of who I feel would be like the strongest mother role or grandmother or aunt that any person could have. I don't know if you know much about my story, but I only had my parents for a decade and a half of my life. And, you know, um, with having to grow up so quickly and being queer and Asian in the United States, it just made me always kind of feel like I was alone. So I looked at my drag side to kind of help me become the man that I am. It's it's interesting to say that I had to put on a lot of stuff to reveal my truest self. I mean, it makes total sense because especially having watched you on Drag Race for for many years now, you know, your fans feel like they know you. And part of that is because I think you emanate so so purely like what your story is 
the experiences that you bring into your drag. But I'm curious to know, like for you, when you trace back the origins of drag in your life, what do you think it was about drag? The moment you first saw it performed, the moment you realized this was something that you could be a part of, what was that kernel of magic that made you go, this? Oh, gosh, for me, it was that feeling of belonging. It was the feeling of like, oh, my gosh, I just got on this stage and I just let go and I feel so free and I'm not living in this cube that I've created for myself, right? Like this invisible cube. I think we all do it as humans. But for me, I was like, this is my shelter. And drag let me break through all these invisible fences that I put up. And it just let me be free. I felt as if I wasn't even doing it as myself. I felt like there was just this energy or this power out there that kind of guided me into this world. And to be on stage, I think any performer can tell you that when they're on stage, they could be on there for like an hour, but it just feels like three breaths you know, and you just want more. It's feeling like you belong, but it's also this unimaginable power when it comes to performance. And I think drag lends itself to that because it, it transcends so much more than the performance. It's it's just being, and it's being fully fabulous. I think a lot of younger people out there don't realize that there was a time that like drag wasn't on television or on YouTube or on Instagram. Can you share a little bit about how, like, how did you discover drag? How did you even find it? You know what? This is going to be pretty cliche. It was Halloween. (laughs) It was Halloween at a party and I met somebody who did drag and I had no idea that I would ever meet anybody like that. Like the only time I ever saw a drag queen was on, I think it was Maury Povich. You know, I'm a 90s kid. And then I saw RuPaul in Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. But it was always fascinating. And I was always terrified because I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Like I was a kid. I didn't know, I didn't know what gender roles were. I just kind of like went along with life as kids do. But as I grew up, I... I saw that there was an opportunity not only to present myself as a more powerful version of myself, but to perform. And at that Halloween party, I was like, hey, I want to know what I look like in drag. And the transformation was just through makeup. And, you know, when you're like in makeup and you don't know what the transformation is yet, you're kind of nervous. But then you look in the mirror and you finally feel a certain type of beautiful and Whether or not it's the gender that you see yourself as, it's still the feeling of beauty. And it's, I I can't even describe it. It was like I was breaking out of this cocoon and she was trying to fly. (laughs) How old were you? I was 16. Wow, yeah. Yeah, I I was a young kid, but... When I was a child, I always described myself as like an old soul. And I don't know if that was appropriate for me to even say, but, you know, I couldn't relate to like other kids. I always wanted to be around older people. And I felt like I've done this before. (laughs) So, okay, tell us a little bit about that childhood leading up to this moment at 16 when you discovered drag. You grew up around Boston, Massachusetts. You spent time in your childhood in in Fresno, California. And as California kids, Tracy and I both have an idea of what life in Fresno might have been like, but oh yeah, 
tell us what your experiences were up until that point. Oh my gosh. Okay. So the earliest that I could remember in Massachusetts was we moved when I was five and, you know, my parents had a really toxic relationship with each other. So that was really normal for me. I didn't really understand it. But when we were in California, I had to kind of create like this space for me and my sisters where we lived in kind of a fantasy because there were a lot of fights and arguments. And I never really knew what the fights were about because I I was kind of like the protector. I was almost this super jujube before I understood what jujube was, but I was that for my two sisters. And we moved around a lot in Fresno. So I was that kid that was always the new kid at every school. And because my name is Airline, everybody remembered it. I might be the only airline for now. (laughs) I'm so happy that it was spelled wrong when I was born. I feel like it was just destiny. Can you explain that really quickly? Yeah. So airline is a name that was supposed to be Airlin. It would be spelled the same way, just the E at the end would be dropped. But my parents came to the United States from Laos. And, you know, there was the Vietnam War and and Laos, unfortunately, was kind of caught in between everything. So they came to the United States. I was their firstborn. They came in 76. I was born in 84. And whoever wrote my name down didn't think that the E would change the pronunciation. And it changed it. Mm. I think it was the most beautiful mistake I'm grateful and I'm lucky enough to be flying all the time. I'm a Delta Diamond member, <laughs> so I think it works. And you know, it's my name. I think I think the mistake was was there for a reason because it's a memorable name. I'm always going to have to talk about it and I I I love it because it's it's not an American name, it's not a Laotian name. It's it's my name. And I think that's what makes it so special for me. I also think that Jujube is a very weird name as well. And that wasn't something I made up. Like my drag mother gave it to me. And there's a weird story with that too. I, I did a drag competition and I won the drag competition, but they announced Jujube. And I was like, well, who the hell is this Jujube? I don't remember a Jujube. And, and it turned out it was my name. And that was uh, that was the night that I was given a drag name. And I think that was the moment <laughs> where I was telling myself that, hey, maybe this is something that that I could do more of. And here we are. (laughs) I love both of those naming origin stories. Yeah, just two big mistakes that are now really great. (laughs) As a Jennifer from the 80s, when every girl at school was named Jennifer, I have a little bit of unique name envy there. Hey, but Jennifer's a beautiful name too. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I make you who you are. And so is Tracy. Tracy with the Y. Tracy with the Y. But Tracy Brown, I've always felt like this weight of genericness, a very like average name. <laughs> Let's release that. Let's all release that weight together. <laughs> yes, we're going to embrace these beautiful names that we have and we own. Okay. Yeah. Well, Airline, you briefly mentioned, you know, your parents moving to the United States. And I understand, you know, with the environment of you growing up, maybe you didn't have these conversations, but I do think about how like I've never spoken to my mom about like what brought her Mm. to the States. Were these things you wondered? Did you ask them about it? Like how did their story lay the foundation for your story? Oh gosh. I mean, I, I've been reflecting a lot about this actually. I, uh, I'm finally in therapy 
I think everybody needs therapy, but I finally started talking about this now. To give kind of a quick story about my relationship with my family. So I don't really have the bond that I think a lot of us would like to have. You know, my mother and I haven't spoken since I was 15 and I'm going to be 37. I love her. I do think that the time and space that we shared together, I think I think that's all that we needed to have, right? So I, I can say that. What I will say about learning about their journey is that my father would talk about how he grew up and he would tell me stories about like fishing trips with his dad in Laos. I call Laos Lao because that's what we, us Laotians call it. <laughs> so you might hear me say that again. All he talked about was the war and how it affected everybody. It dispersed so many people. And that's really all I understood. We never learned anything about the Laotians in war at school. I, you know, went out and I learned about like the secret war and I learned about like all the bombings and and the fact that even today there are mines that are exploding. And it's it's hard to imagine that in the world that we live today, things like that are still affecting people. And I think that because my parents were born into war, they were born in the 50s, right? And the war went on for such a long time. I think it affected them mentally. But as Laotians, we we don't talk about mental health. We don't talk about addiction. We don't talk about all the things that we can't see we don't talk about. Because those, those things, for some reason, didn't seem real. But because I am a Laotian-American, I'm open to everything that could help me. And I wish that my dad was still here today so that he could finally relieve himself of all the, like, the torment and the trauma that he went through. I know you've, you've cited before uh, your grandmother, too, as sort of a, an inspiration or an influence in your life. Mm-hmm. I wonder how you would describe that relationship. My grandmother is, she definitely isn't the one that would make apple pies or would really cook anything. <laughs> I actually don't think she's a great cook, but what she what she is, is she is a firecracker and she is such a personality where you wouldn't imagine an older Laotian woman to have this kind of idea about her. Like Asian women are always placed in this in this world where it's it's prim and proper, and she wasn't that. And that's what I appreciate and I love about her because she always spoke her mind. She always told me what she thought. If she didn't like the way I looked in drag, she would be like, you know, you should really try something else. And I loved that about her. All I can say about my grandma is that she is always there to love me. She's accepting. And she is a hoarder because she'll never throw anything away. She lives in that like space where she's like, well, I might need this. I might need these shoes that don't work anymore. (laughs) Can we briefly, this is a total aside (laughs) and we were not going to talk about this on the show. Hoarding and Asian American parents, Mm -hmm. what is up with that? Girl, this is what I think it is. I think it's because when they had to flee Laos... They only had whatever they could have, right? But now they have the opportunity to have things and they think back. It's like they remember all like the stuff, all the trauma, right? And they're like, well, well, what if this happens again? 
And she, and I think that's what it is. And sometimes they pass it down because I do the same thing where I'm like, I will sharpen an eyeliner down. And I'm like, well, what if I still need this eyeliner? And it's not, it doesn't work anymore. This is what <laughs> I live with in myself. The same, you know, in my family, uh, history is very different, but I also trace I'm so sorry to my parents if they ever listened to this. I don't mean to put you on blast, but you have a bit of a hoarding problem. I'm so sorry. It's just true. They love Costco and they're emotional hoarders. And they did pass that down to me. So I realized in my life that I was picking up these tendencies and then I like reverse engineered to try to figure out why. And it does trace back. To traumas that they, mm-hmm. I think, never, never had the opportunity to deal with. Yeah, but we get we get to break that cycle. <laughs> yeah, but what if I need all this stuff? Caroline? That's the thing, Tracy. What are you a hoarder, Tracy? Yes, I was enjoying this like session to be able to relate because I think part of it. Sorry, mom, but I'm sharing. But yes, my mom keeps everything. Like I'm like, mom, I think this is broken. Mm-hmm. Do you really need this? It doesn't even function anymore. And she goes, We might, but. In my head, though, I recognize it as a issue with her. Like, I do the exact same thing. I'm like, but what if I need this cable? I have so many computer cables that I don't know what to do with them. I'm like, I don't even have computer parts that need this kind of USB cable anymore. But what if I need this cable later? Oh, absolutely. I just found a flip phone like three weeks ago and I had to throw it out. And now I'm like, now I'm like, why did you do that? What if you needed it? I'm, like, I'm never going to need the flip phone. <laughs> I'm so with you. I have like this graveyard of of like long expired technology, but you know, I will keep it till the end of my days. Just in case. I'll, you know, I'm going to I'm going to flip case. it around and say maybe the the bright side of this Asian American ingenuity. We can totally use these things. Maybe we might need them, you know. I I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um <laughs> uh, Okay, I'm so sorry. I I got us so far (laughs) off track. (laughs) No, I think this is a great conversation. I think the special thing about Asian Enough is that it's so relatable. And that's like, I couldn't stop listening. That's why I love that this is happening. We really need this right now as well, you know? I was going to say, it's like, I I appreciate that. And the reason I was super excited that you were coming to the show, part of it is like, there's so few gay Asians that, you know, in media and even people that I know in real life to have conversations about like how like navigating identity as someone who is gay and Asian in a world that is like, frankly, not friendly to either of us a lot of the times, like the either sides. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I, I learned really quickly that I needed to love all those parts of myself. I wasn't just one stereotype, you know, I'm many stereotypes and I embrace all of those, like I, I'm gay. I'm a brown Asian. I'm left-handed. I'm feminine, and I love every single part of that, you know. And um, if I didn't, the things that I would hear when I was a kid would have totally torn me down. But I didn't have time to understand their hatred or their. Uh, I don't want to use the word hatred. It was. I think it was more misunderstanding, or, or they just looked at me from a different lens, right? I didn't have time for bullies because all the things that was happening in my world, like I just, I tried to look at everybody kind of like from the same shoe that I was wearing. There was a high school bully that I had and he was a handsome white guy. 
you know, I always thought like, why, why would he be bullying me for? And then I just kind of, I made up a story for him and I was like, well, maybe he's going through the same exact thing I'm, I'm going through, but he doesn't know where to direct his anger or his pain. It helped me. I don't really know what's true, but that just kind of helped me live in this world because I do this thing now where I like, I just live now. Like I'm sitting here doing this podcast with Jan. I'm so happy to be doing this. I try not to live what tomorrow is. And I try not to live what last week was because there's nothing I could do about that. But like I'm in complete control of what I'm saying right now to y'all. And like we're sharing time and stories. And I think that that is so important. And I think it's so important to elevate like Asian American stories. Because Tracy, like you said, like it is difficult to find queer Asians in media. And when we do, we like latch on. Like when I first saw Alec Mappa, I was like, oh my gosh, somebody looks like me and they're on television and they're funny. Like that, that's insane to me. Like I found out her, you know, the, the singer, I didn't know she was Asian. And I was like, I knew there was a reason I loved her, but like, I, I would have loved her regardless of that. But it, it's so nice to know that there are so many different varieties of Asian heritage out there. And we're all so special and unique, at least to me. Mm. That's so beautiful. It, it honestly is beautiful because that's one of the really amazing things I found just doing this podcast. A, mm-hmm. it's not a podcast I ever, like my younger self ever had, but also it's not a podcast my younger self ever envisioned that I could be doing or be a part of. So talking about these things something is something that I never really had occasion to do as a kid. Even me revisiting your work that kids and, you know, adults have been able to see and draw strength from and inspiration from for the past 10 years, you know, is really something to revisit. Here's a thing that I have come to realize, and it might sound corny, but I'm just going to say, sometimes I think particularly to folks those of us who are not drag performers or not drag queens and drag superstars, drag can honestly seem like a superpower because of what it is achieving, the layers of what this art form does Mm -hmm. to reorient and take command of the gazes, which are so often thrust and forced upon us from the outside world and, and reclaim that into you know, a, a statement of, of being, of, our, of your own making is so, so powerful. It really honestly seems like a tool that I don't feel mm-hmm. like I have located in my toolbox. And I wonder if you, if you see it that way. Oh, see, I think you have located the tool. And I think we all do that. We may call it like another name. And I do, yes, I do, Jen, I do see what you were talking about because it is like a superpower because it, it's it's this extreme confidence. Like when I get in drag, I don't know why Jujube is so much more confident than airline because we share the same body and the same soul. But for some reason, I, I'm able to dive into this part of me that just feels much stronger, more confident, even smarter. And she never went to school, <laughs> you know? But I, But when I say that, I know that all of us can relate to what drag is because 
There are days where I wake up and I literally will have to say, like I said this this morning, I put my feet on the ground and I said, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm going to have a great day today because I knew we were doing this, right? I didn't want to come in with anything on my mind that was going to be like a bad tone, but I still wanted to be like my most authentic self. That's what drag does for me. Drag gives me the opportunity to see the same picture from a different angle. And I think all of us already do this. We are the ones who decide what we do and what we feel. And if I'm going to say I'm going to have a great day, I'm going to have a great day. And if there's a bump in the road, I just take that and I and I say to myself, you know what, That that's just kind of like, like in any math equation, that's just a variable. We're going to get to the same answer, but it's just, it's just a little different direction. And I just kind of look at my life like that because for me, it makes it more palatable and just easier. You mentioned authenticity actually just now, and I really want, I was really hoping you can help us unpack that. Like what does authenticity mean right now? to you, for you in your life, like in your work, in drag, on reality TV, like there's so many layers, but I feel like it's like authenticity is like this buzzword that we all talk about. Yeah. What does it mean for you? Well, for me, drag has let me make music. And my most authentic version is when I'm singing a song that I've written. And, you know, it took me a really long time to make music. I didn't think that I could be a drag queen that sang. And I have, I've also never seen like Asian singers want to sing songs like like I have, you know? It's been a really long time coming, but I think just being honest with myself and saying, I don't know everything. I don't know everything about myself. I'm willing to discover new things. And I think that is being authentic. And I also think not apologizing for being me, for making the mistakes that I make, because I think everything's a lesson. I think that's being really authentic and also being just completely honest about having feelings. (laughs) Like when I cry now, I try not to say sorry because I think as humans, we always apologize for having these feelings. But I think it's important to just feel them and then acknowledge it and then it'll pass. Hmm. Well, another another way, I mean, you talk about all these ways of bringing authenticity forward, not just in work, but in your daily life, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Watching you on season two, right? Your first appearance on Drag Race. Your first appearance in the television world. Mm-hmm. Juju B from the jump repped for Laotian Americans. Mm-hmm. That is like even to revisit now and to realize how very rare that was and still is to see yeah. is really something. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always going to be Laotian. Yes, I, I'm a Laotian-American person, but I always feel like Laotian comes first for me because look at me, you know, the food I eat when I'm, when I'm cooking at home. I share space for American cuisine, <laughs> but I will make you a mean, stanky Laotian dish because that's what reminds me of home and love. And my dad was somebody who always cooked. He was always in the kitchen. And he's the one that taught me how to make, you know, lap, which is uh, a minced meat salad. Whenever I make anything like that, it makes me think of him. And we have our version of pho, which is the Vietnamese soup. But Laotians have our version. I still call it pho. <laughs> but I think there's people would argue that it's not the same thing. But hey, I, I love both. Being Laotian is always going to be me. I think that's what I love most about America is that we 
or the United States of America, because there's more than one America, um, is that we have so many different versions of people. And although we live in a time where there's so much stuff happening, you know, especially right now with the Stop Asian Hate Movement, like, can you believe that we're in this right now? It is interesting to live right here, right now, and know that, like, an Asian American man was just recently killed in New York City. So to have voices like ours and to speak of our experiences, I think will open not just our Asian people up, it, it'll show the rest of the world that we're here and we belong and we matter and we just want to live and coexist with everybody else. We just want to deliver impeccable, flawless, infamous readings on drag race in English and in Lao. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I mean, that that became such a moment because you like pulled it off so well. Was that kind of thing something that you intended to do coming into that show? Okay, I, I try to just do what's there. Like, whenever I try to manipulate a situation, it always backfires on me. So I just, I trust the universe and I just ask for grace and I give myself grace as well. You know, so if I fail at something, I'll say, you know what, that wasn't for you. That's a lesson. But if something works out, then I thank the universe for guiding me because that can't all be me. Somebody, some, somebody's out there helping me, you know? <laughs> so it just came out. And I don't know where all those reads came from, Jen, but it came out. And it was so rude of me. <laughs> I'm so good at being mean, but I'm like really a kind person. <laughs> it's kind of like when you see a really talented freestyle rapper just go <laughs> off, the t off the top. Oh, I wish I was a rapper. <laughs> well, you're a singer. You're a singer. Yes, she's a vocal. She's a recording artist. <laughs> I don't want to meet you. I don't think you'll measure up. I just want to keep you. More of our conversation with Jujube coming up after this short break. Stay with us. Welcome back to Asian Enough. Are you ready for more good juju? Here's the rest of our conversation with drag superstar Jujubee. I love that we're touching on your like iconic season two original moments, but I feel like we'd be remiss if we did not discuss your finale look from All Stars 5. Yes. And I was really wondering if you can talk a little bit about like choosing to infuse more of your, your culture and making all of that part of Jujubee too. Oh, gosh. I immediately said my uh, drag race, like, extravaganza look would be the person that my parents would pray to in our... lit. Like, we had pictures and depictions of Buddha, and there were different versions that we had, but this one stood out to me the most because I, I never knew whether or not they were male or female, but it also didn't matter to me. It was It was just a version of an enlightened spirit. And when I went back to All Stars 5, I 
at that time felt the most enlightened. You know, I, I was sober. I, um, was, was free of, of new fences I put up for myself. Cause we repeat the same things over and over again until we learn. Right. And that's my path and my journey. But I, I wanted to incorporate what I saw from my childhood as the happiest and the most enlightened version of a being, because I knew at that point in time, that's exactly what I was feeling. And I wanted other people to see that the look was inspired from me as, as a child, but also from me culturally. And how would you put into words the concept and the, the visuals that came together? Well, I said the colors need to be exactly what I see Buddha as. And when I was a kid, my dad died and I, I was a monk for three days. So I wore those same exact colors. It's this beautiful sunset orange. And I wanted that to be uh, a train that kind of followed me. So it was this, this feeling of me dragging a piece of fabric across the runway, but I wanted that to to almost be like it was like this source of energy. So it's this beautiful velvet orange fabric. And then I had this, I was really cinched, <laughs> like, and it hurt, but um, my waist was really tiny. And then like the proportions were there because it was drag, but I also wanted this crown on my head that uh, looked like it was just a glowing um, sun. So it just shot out uh, like lots of rays and I, I wanted to feature that. But everything was sparkly and were wicked sparkly, as us Bostonians <laughs> would say, and shiny and draggy. But it, it was it was good juju. It's all good juju. Yeah. Well, there's sometimes bad juju. <laughs> oh, okay. That's true. <laughs> and that's yeah, okay. Fair, fair. <laughs> Is, did, what kind of feedback did you get from that finale look? Uh, well, RuPaul was speechless and it was a good, it was a good speechless. You know, Michelle loved it. I think RuPaul specifically said, only you could wear this. This was made for your body. It fits you like a glove. Oh my goodness. And I felt seen because this is my idol here who is judging me. And um, they're saying the most amazing things and they're saying things that I had hoped for. So I was very happy to hear all these things. And can you believe I've gotten to the top every single time? Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> yes, I can believe that. I, was, <laughs> I can't okay. believe you haven't won yet. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I would I would like to win one day. <laughs> I'm actually curious, What did, did you hear from, you know, the audience to see that kind of, that representation? Oh, my gosh. I am... Um, I had not heard from as many Thai and Laotian people until that episode. And I'm like, all I know is that I I am Laotian, but a lot of people also assume that I'm Thai and that doesn't offend me at all. I think, I think, I don't know. I, I think the two countries are family. That's how I see it. Maybe I see it like wrong. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. But I just, I just see that we, we share space and um, a lot of our traditions are pretty similar. I heard from them and it was really loving and it was really accepting. And a lot of people were like, you somehow made a religious being 
fashion and drag at the same time. And sometimes that could be really difficult and it could, it could be offensive. And I never wanted to do that. Um, but I heard a lot of people say, wow, this is a visual that we never thought we'd see in such a light on a stage like that, which, which I'm very proud of. But it wasn't just me. It was the designers. And I, I found the perfect person to make me that. So it was definitely their work as well. I'm curious, how do you feel your approach to drag has evolved, not just in the time since you first appeared on Drag Race to now, but even how in that time, drag has just become more ingrained in mainstream spaces and mainstream culture? It's really interesting, isn't it? Because, gosh, when I started drag, I, even even the queer people in the queer spaces were like, what is he doing? You know, and because it, it was it was always misunderstood, but now we're celebrating it. And I think it's such a beautiful thing because it's not just for queer people. I think, I think the art form lends itself to every single kind of art. You know, drag is not just dressing up. Drag is the visual, of course, but it's the feeling. And I think that now we get to express the fact that we we share so many similarities, but we have all these different talents that we could use drag for. Like there's music, there's acting, there's modeling. Sometimes people just do drag because they want to feel great. And that's okay too. I wish that I was just an Instagram drag queen so that I could just be in drag from from like my chest up. <laughs> but I got to be in full drag. And sometimes, you know, it's painful, but I, it's all worth it to me because it's like I could feel the pain in my toes, but that's when I know I'm just grounded and, and I'm centered. That's how I know you have a high pain threshold because I can't wear heels anymore. <laughs> you you brought up, you know, just now how 10 or more years ago, even within the queer community, like people didn't quite mm -hmm. understand drag and all that. And I think, you know, during this last pandemic year, we've all had time to really sit and think about things. Mm -hmm. And we collectively talk more about how ingrained racism and classism and sizeism and all the all the isms mm -hmm. are present everywhere mm -hmm. like including lgbtq spaces you know are we finally addressing it as a community within our own communities too oh i absolutely do think that we're finally seeing what i call the light i think there's always been a light but i think that there's been so many egos standing in the way for us to see it you know and because of the pandemic and everybody being forced to sit in their own silence, we've heard how loud our silence is, right? And I know that um, for me, I've I've been pretty grateful for this time because I've been able to cry about the things that I needed to cry about, to seek help in things that I couldn't do by myself. And I think a lot of us out there and when I say us, I mean like us as a whole, like every single person in the world. I think we've been able to really take this moment and see the changes that we need to make within ourselves. And in the queer community, we are inclusive, but there are, there are some strangely exclusive parts, which drives me crazy. And it's interesting because being an Asian drag queen sometimes was really difficult because the other queens never saw me as one that really took drag seriously because my version of drag wasn't as outrageous as theirs was, or I didn't have the things that they had because I was still learning how to do drag. So even within the drag community, it's it's a little difficult. But 
you know, 10 years ago when I would walk into a queer space in drag, it, you would get those looks. Like, like you thought you went to a place that would be accepting, um, but they kind of looked at you like you were crazy or like you were out of your mind for being in drag. And I think that actually comes down to uh, patriarchy. I think it comes down to the people um, out there thinking that being feminine or dressing up as a woman is a weakness or or is something that is nothing to them. But I, I find femininity and I find uh, women beings as being so strong. And that's why I do drag. And I feel as though we need to celebrate femininity so much more because it's not a weakness. It takes so much strength to be feminine. And um, there's a lot of pressure with people who are feminine, especially in the in the queer community. Because I am not masked at all. Well, maybe I am sometimes. <laughs> I go hiking sometimes. <laughs> but well, I appreciate like I appreciate the drag queens because growing up, right? I was I was like a tomboy. Like I rejected a lot of femininity. I think because, as you mentioned, society is mm-hmm. so patriarchal. Like you see the feminine as mm-hmm. somehow lesser than. Like I didn't want that one more thing. It's easily easy to reject. Like, well, I like boy stuff, anyways. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna gonna run around in shorts with a sword and like that's how I'm gonna like live my childhood like I don't need your dolls (laughs) I had both it was it's really interesting I I I had friends with uh with the neighbor who his dad made us this wooden sword he carved it himself which I thought was so special and then the same week my dad bought me a uh a doll because I wanted it and he was like all right ah that was the nurturing that I needed because he just knew that I was different. I didn't know, but he knew. And that's what I'm I'm so grateful for because we have people out there who really care. And when they show us that they care, we we should uh, hold on to that. Because I'll, I'll never forget the day that my dad bought me a doll when I was eight. What kind of doll was it? She was like a knockoff Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> I love this story because... I never got to hear it from my dad personally, but uh, my mom talks about how, like, the first toy he bought for me after I was born was a sword. <laughs> like, I just like that our fathers were the ones who were like, we just know, <laughs> like, and it's okay, like, have this. Yeah, and I think it's so beautiful because that's like a little glimpse in in feeling accepted. And, you know, that's that's a person that you love. So so to feel accepted by by that person, I think, is really amazing. Oh. That's so lovely. Like, even just listening to those dad stories makes me happy for you both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, on the flip side, I don't have any mom stories, but I think I'm at that point in my life where I am really at peace with what I've gotten from her. And um, I recently saw a photo of her and she looked really happy. So I'm really really happy that she's in that headspace. And uh, I suppose I'm at that point in my life where I I am able to forgive and release the resentments. (laughs) And I like that. I can't imagine how much traveling it took to get to a point like that, given, you know, all that you've shared. Yeah. Oh yeah. A lot. And um, sometimes I, I revert back to, you know, that 15-year-old child. And and I can't say that I'll never not do that because sometimes 
sometimes we go back to those places that we feel most comfortable. And I was, I was there for so long, but I, I think being able to understand that those feelings don't last forever is really important. And I think being, being a queer Asian American really, really helps me see the different facets of, of my life. We've talked so much about where Jujube has been uh-huh. and where airline is now. Mm-hmm. Where are you going next? What's what's beyond? What's next for you? Oh, is it my God. music? You know, your, your voice is so good. Oh, thank and you. And I have, I have resisted up until now saying that I uh, would like to karaoke with you someday. I know that you're the queen of karaoke because I follow you on Twitter. <laughs> I am wearing my Celine Dion. <laughs> oh my gosh. Today. Oh my gosh. Can I be Barbara? We can sing Tell Him. Yes. <laughs> Deal. I accept. Um, <laughs> where uh, where am I going? You know, it's really funny. In my song, On My Way, I write, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm on my way. <laughs> but um, I don't know where I'm going. I really... But I can say that I am constantly working on music. You know, I recently released Good Juju Live. And it's just, it's just me singing live my songs that I've written. And I, I feel like... With the industry now, it like anything can happen and anything can go because I'm in charge of, of what I do. And I think pretty soon up, y'all will hear a track with me and Shea Coulee. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it, it'll be really exciting. It, it's it's going to drop right during Pride season. And I have some really fun remixes coming out because I know my songs are they're like slow jams and they're like sad boy songs but we're going to make them into dance sad boy songs. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay, so unfortunately, we're nearing the end of our conversation. But before we let you go, it's time for our weekly segment called Asian Enough Confessions where we share a time or thing that's made us feel that we're not Asian enough so that we can unpack it together. It's kind of like group therapy. And I think it's only fair that I go first. I think part of it is because I'm biracial. I've had, uh, it has been very hard for me until very recently to speak up as an Asian American because I kind of feel like I don't get to own that title. So that is my confession. And that's that is why I'm grateful I'm doing this podcast because I get to like use my voice that I haven't been able to in the past. Whereas like, it's always been easy for me to speak up about being queer. Why do you think one has been easier than the other? I think it's because for me, like no one can challenge me about being queer or being gay. But I think I was never confident about how I would respond to if someone had challenged me about being Asian, like an Asian American. Hmm. Tracy, I'm so glad you're on this podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, is it my turn? Okay, <laughs> fine. Uh, um, I have buried my soul so many times on this, um, but mine is not quite as profound as yours, Tracy. It's not nowhere near as profound, but it is something that um, I was reminded of, Airline, as you were speaking about the the first time that you encountered drag being around Halloween. Mm-hmm. Halloween is my 
favorite holiday. I love, love it. And I was a lifelong movie fan, like pop culture obsessive, which are the best kinds of people for Halloween because you have so many things to choose from to like dress up as, right? But for a while, I was really um, conflicted about Halloween, my favorite holiday, because no matter what I dressed up as, people out in the world would assume it was Asian fill in the blank, Asian something, you know, you can't just be like, I don't know, like a, I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost like I felt like I had limited possibilities for something like Halloween of what I could dress up as because of my Asian face would always make it Asian. So for me, it's something that I still, uh, if I'm being honest, I carry resentment about that uh, because it's my favorite holiday but it's something I'm trying to find a new perspective on maybe a healthier perspective or something I don't know but something that irks me still to this day I think that was actually way more profound than you thought it would be Jen (laughs) really (laughs) yes I was like crying inside for you (laughs) See, mine's really dumb. Now I, now I just feel like, like I'm like, do I change my answer? No, because, give, us, give us some levity. Okay, so <laughs> this is very trivial, but um, Laotians are known to eat very spicy food. And we make papaya salad. Oh, yeah. And my aunt will put in like 40 chili peppers. And I'm not lying when I say 40. I have to have her make me a separate <laughs> thing of papaya salad. And she's she'll ask me how many peppers. And I'll just say, oh, just use the residue from your 40. <laughs> but like, just make sure you wipe a little bit out. And that always makes me feel like I'm not Asian enough. Because my tongue can't handle, my body can't handle that chili, girl. You I, know? I feel that. It's like the thing of like, how do you prove... How Asian you are is, is uh, by your palate, right? Yes. And what you, how much heat you can take. I'm like, give me all the fish sauce and the fermented shrimp. I'm good. I love that. But like <laughs> when you are trying to spice my mouth up, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the American in me, y'all. Well, here's the question. <laughs> what does your aunt say when you say, no, no, please hold the peppers? She doesn't judge me. I mean, I'm sure she'll whisper something under her breath to her pestle and mortar or like look at my grandma but my grandma can't handle it either because she's old so (laughs) we share the same plate (laughs) do you have an asian enough confession you want to share with us call us at 213-986-5652 that's to put it again in the style of jujubes don't want to love 213-986-5652 And maybe we'll play it on the show. Hello, my name is Daisuke Tanaka, and my Asian confession uh, is about what we decided to name our child. I'm Japanese, speak Japanese, but I've spent most of my life in the U.S. and definitely consider L.A. and California my home. Um, but my wife and I had a son in April and decided to name him Aoki, um, kind of, sort of, after Steve Aoki, 
it's Japanese, it's recognizable, and we like the name. And when we told my parents, um, they definitely were not happy, and my mother definitely objected strongly and even asked if we could go back to City Hall and change his name. Her reaction was, what are the Japanese relatives going to think? Um, there's no tradition of giving last names as first names in Japanese culture. Um, the Japanese people are going to laugh at him. Um, and what, what's funny is we have an older son who we named Bodhi after the character in Point Break. And neither of my parents um, objected to that. So they had no problems naming our kid after a fictional bank robbing surfer who dies at the end. But it was when we named our kid something that was kind of Japanese, but I guess not Asian enough, um, severely objected. That's a wrap for this week's episode of Asian Enough. Thank you to Jujubee for joining us, and thank you for listening. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. Asian Enough is hosted by me, Jen Yamato, and by my esteemed colleague, Tracy Brown. Our producer is Asal Asanapur, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin. Our original music was composed by Andrew Epen. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Jeff Berkshire, James Reed, and Matt Brennan. And thank you to Jujubi for letting us play your songs on this episode, as well as to this week's caller. By the way, I have to say, I like to think of Bodhi from Point Break as still out there somewhere riding that wave. But I think your kids have legendary names. Legends. This podcast is dedicated to the memory of our founding producer, Lina Anwar. Come back next week for another great episode of Asian Enough. We'll have hosts Johanna Buya and Suhana Hussein behind the mic, talking to sociologist and writer Anthony Ocampo. When people think of Asian, they're not often thinking about like the brown kid with the last name Rodriguez with the rosary around their neck, right? And, and I think that this is the other part of this moment is that we have an opportunity to really expand who's included as Asian American. And remember, it's not too late to trick out your closet and turn it into your very own recording studio. Yeah, I've actually recorded um, a lot of my latest songs in my closet. It's like, you know, I came out when I was 15, but I go back in when I'm 36 to record music. Reclaim that space. (laughs) 